You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. You are listening to The Magnet Theater Podcast. My name is Lewis Kornfeld. How do you do? My guest today is the great Katie Berry. Katie. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell fucking yeah. Can I say the F-bomb? Say whatever you want. Ooh, Okay. Let's get um crazy. Let's get like <laughs> let's get real. Thanks for being here. I'm so happy to be here. I'm ready to get like Oprah level with this. Okay. And um like I want to reveal deep truths. I want to laugh. I want to cry. Cool. I'm bearing my soul to you. All right, let's get into it. Let's peel away the layers. I'm I'm pulling out my my phone. Your here. like flip phone from 2000. Flip. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, I got a text message from Evan on my way in here today that read some things Katie would love to discuss. <laughs> no, okay. it's cool. Ever he keep me so some things Katie would love to discuss. <laughs> Saying fuck the haters and slaying all day every day. <laughs> North Coast sexy baby. Uh, <laughs> let's start there. <laughs> Go. So let's start with saying fuck the haters and slaying all day every day. Well, I mean that's just my <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> you know. Um, sexy babies coach, Kristen Palak. Mm-hmm. Um, he always says that the best improv you do is at home in front of the bathroom mirror. Yeah. And then you like just going on stage, like broop, all these walls pop, 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 pop yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. And then you spend your whole improv career, like trying to get down, like get those walls down and get past them. And, um, I just feel like fuck the haters is like how I get through it. I'm just like, I don't give a fuck. And then I get um, loose goosey and it's fun. Cool. <laughs> that was not good advice for on how to overcome the walls. But anyway. Not specifically, but it's good, like, points people in the right direction. I just read an interview with the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm. And he was talking about, uh, like, how, how much he loved and hated being an actor. He was talking about the profound resentment he felt towards everybody right before he had to do a performance. Oh. And then how great it felt afterwards. But it was always like garbage to him going into it. And part of it was this resentment of um, needing to live your privacy in front of other people. And and the build up to being private in front of other people being such a hard Something that just like really like inhibits you and puts you horribly in your head. Yeah. But then the reward having successfully pulled it off is this feeling of being kind of larger than life. That to me is interesting because I feel in a way opposite in that I like to be a very selfish improviser in yeah. that I like to take whatever I'm going through and just like exercise it on stage and and just like whatever like freaky thing I want to try or whatever um, – shit that I have to shake out, I want to go on stage and just like blast it out of me with like it, like improv is such a release for me. And mm-hmm. I also, I just totally get high on, um, pushing boundaries and being filterless and being like scarily honest and pulling like really like uncomfortably true details from my personal life and kind of like peppering them in. So it just, for me, I'm like constantly like searching for that high and I, I never resent the audience. I'm just kind of like shoving myself down their throats. Is it it like an autobiographical thing for you or do you, do you feel that you're like using your time on stage to kind of reveal yourself to people? I think I have a chip on my shoulder, but not towards the audience, but like, Oh my God, maybe I am like Philip Seymour often. I feel like I have stuff to prove. Yeah. And I think it comes from my childhood. Okay. Let's get in. Let's, <laughs> so I'm sensing our first Oprah moment. Oh my God. Let's get into it. What do you have to prove when you're on stage? Well, you know what? When I was growing up, I have a very jovial, um, jokey family. Mm-hmm. but a lo- And they're blue, like blue collar, crass, all that shit. Mm-hmm. But then, like, whenever the guys were sitting around, like, my dick's like this and my asshole's like this. And then I'd come in from left field and be like, well, my asshole. And it would be very much like, shut up. Mm-hmm. Like, stop. And there was always this, like, um, I don't know. Like, you could be funny, but never as funny as the guys. And, like, that was how they got to sleep with you and you... But like, I, I don't know. It was just weird. I was like teased a lot. It was like hard for me to find my place and my voice. And I just feel like now when I go on stage, there's this like 
thin little line of like rage mm-hmm. and and just like railing against. And I think the more that people are like, Katy Berry's such a wild card. Katy Berry always says pussy. All her scenes are about her pussy. Like always <laughs> says that. And it makes me want to do it more because mm-hmm. I perceive it like a little a little piece of me feels like it's that like shitty weird teacher in high school who had like uh got off on control and was like i don't know if that's i don't know if that's a universal experience but like i sense that and i'm just like i'm gonna go twice as hard now mm-hmm. and i don't know if it's to like free the beast in me or to punish you or or what but um it's definitely all tied in where where do you sense that from like you sense that coming just like as a general like cultural thing like before you're like you're 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 primed you're just primed to fight the fight when you get up there or do you sense it like from an audience i oh i think it's no i think it's just in me from like my whole life yeah because like i was one of those girls growing up where um getting teased or like having a family member that wasn't supportive or like all that stuff. I think some people reel back into themselves and kind of internalize that negative stuff. Whereas I would always lash out and I would like punch the bully in the face or like, be like, fuck you dad. And then like go out and like, you know, rebel, rebel, like constantly pushing against the system. Mm -hmm. So like it, that like improv feels like a safe, awesome place where I could do that, but people are actually doing it with me and having fun with me. And we're like reveling and being just totally free to just get freaky. Got you. And I could not be more opposite in how we cope with that stuff. Cause for me, it, it wasn't <laughs> totally de- dealing with any kind of like bullying or embarrassment or adversity or whatever. It sent me right inside myself, like mm. deep, deep inside myself. So I, I was definitely the avert, the uh, swallow my feelings. Don't, don't, don't feel them. Don't take ownership of them. Get really quiet. Kind of create this cloud of like yeah. non-communicativeness around people. And interestingly, I feel like I too have a chip on my shoulder when I'm improvising because I guess it's years and years and years of stuffing all that stuff inside yeah. that give me this really strong feeling of now it's time for everyone to be quiet and listen to what I have to say or not say the point is be quiet and watch me right now is kind of kind of a thought that goes through my head sometimes. That is so interesting to me because we are like the opposite type of players. Yeah. Like you, you always do like really like you're very much like a, it's like theatery. It's like actory. It's got that like grounded, like, like beautiful nuanced, NPR vibe and then <laughs> mine's more like pop art like yeah Andy Warhol whatever um but it's funny because I remember your class like when I was coming up through the magnet was like my favorite class because like everyone my whole life has known me as being like loud and wacky but I like loved having a place having a class where I could do that kind of work and you like really appreciated it and pulled it out because I knew I was capable of doing it but it was like I wasn't letting anyone win. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like I'm not giving up who I am. And and it was like I was free to enjoy that type of improv. Um, yeah, because I'm very like – I think I have a personal thing where I am angry if anyone even tries to control me or tell me how to be. Yeah. But you're, I felt like in your class I could have it all because that's totally a part of who I am. Yeah. I read well- books. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine i like i i don't from like a teaching perspective i don't give a shit i don't care i like to 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 me what what would be like the ideal situation is a person feels very comfortable and free to be themselves and to feel like improv is very easy that's what i want people to take away from my classes is to feel like oh that's no big deal yeah it's really simple um, and, and sometimes I worry that people feel a little bit restricted in the way that I teach a class because they think that I am trying to condition you to play my way, which I'm not right in earlier level classes. I am trying to condition you to get used to the idea that you don't need to do nearly as much as you think you need to do for stuff to work. Yeah. You just like relax and, and, and trust yourself and like 
yeah, don't play to win. Just play to play. Totally. It'll be fine. But then like later on, if you're on a team and I start coaching your team, you're going to hear me starting to encourage you to let that shit out some more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that makes me happy to hear that you like the class. Yay. I loved it. And my um, my roommate Liz Scafudo took it recently. And oh, she yeah. like loved, she loved it as well. Yeah. Oh, fabulous. She drank the Kool-Aid. How do you not? How do you not? How do you not? It's fun. Yes, it is fun. It's delightful. Before, so for what you're talking about to work, to be able to cut loose like that, and and it also requires not only a huge amount of confidence in yourself or, or a real strong attitude of like, fuck it, listen to what I have to say, but it also requires that you're playing with people who go with you. Yeah. Which is a situation that you have on not one, but two near legendary groups. Yeah. And you know, and my first team I ever had, Cool Blanche, that's the name of it, Cool Blanche. We also were very happy and good. I'm extremely improv lucky. The three teams I've been on all um, have been just awesome people, immediately supportive, embracing my energy. It melds great. But yeah, now I'm on Sexy Baby, which is megawatt uh, Wednesday nights. Super fun. Though I will say everyone on the team um, is pure evil and must burn. Mm -hmm. They all... um, said that I would never get on this podcast and I'm worthless. And, um, that sounds like classic Tim Dufresne talk to me. (laughs) Tim Dufresne seems like lovable and gentle, but I've done a couple of shows with him. And right before the show, he just looks you in your eyes and he just comments on, he just, he has like an instinct for your weakness, your flaw. And he comments on it. Like the last thing, like he'll turn to me right before a show and just look me right in the eyes. And I think it's gonna be gentle. And I go ears. And then I'll, we'll go out on stage and be like, I'm fucking (laughs) folding like a house of cards. Um, the true evil is Darren's Washington because he just paints his nails and just <laughs> paints on coat after coat of nail polish and just gives me that look. And I just, I have to run away. What's the sexy baby MO? Talk, talk me through the magic of the team. Oh, I mean, every single person aside from being horrible and evil is completely wonderful. Mm. Um, and everyone genuinely like respects and gets along with everyone else. And we said from the very beginning, we were like, guys, let's just have fun. Like who gives a fuck, you know, really low stakes. And then every time, every, every show before a show, Darren always goes, if y'all came to slay, say I slay. And then everyone <laughs> with like the most fervent passion, we're like, oh, I slay. And, <laughs> and we fucking mean it. And then we go out and we just, the rule is like indulge every whim, go there and and support each other. We do. We just have a great time. I, you like married up with the perfect coach for you guys too and Christian. Yeah. He appreciates my love of diarrhea jokes. I would imagine. Diarrhea and farts and all that fun stuff. Give me like a, a for instance, like where will a diarrhea or fart joke pop up? Will it be like, do you have crafted jokes oh or God. is it like you just insert farts? At unnecessary times and scenes, because that's a pretty safe bet to get a laugh in a scene if you need to. <laughs> I love it. And they, by the way, just as a side thing, I've heard people say that like fart jokes are like the lowest common denominator. And I'm here to say that no, because if you think about kids, one of the first things they like laugh at is when you're like, or if you like smell their feet and you're like, pew, your feet stink. Yeah. Like kids always freak out and laugh. So like fart jokes are like the birth of us. Universal. Yeah. Fart jokes are the the universal maternal vagina in the comedy universe that we all burst forth yeah. from. What? Why? What is it? It's, what is it? Why is it so funny? I don't. It just because we all fart. Yeah. And do everyone's buttoning up and like trying to pretend we don't have smelly buttholes. <laughs> Butthole smelly. Everyone, there's nobody you can think of whose butthole isn't smelly. Exactly. Do you ever think of celebrities pooping and uh, just for just for a kick? No, but I like remind myself sometimes. <laughs> like on the subway, I don't think of celebrities all that much. But like, if I'm on the subway, I'll look around and remind myself of like all these people have shit at some point today. <laughs> all of them. I'll think of like Amy Adams or like someone like beautiful and classy. I'll think of like Meryl Streep. <laughs> Everyone, close your eyes. Meryl Streep sitting. On the porcelain throne, just grunting out a huge, <laughs> dense turd. <laughs> it's, it's, come on. 
It's great. Yeah. But anyway, one of the ongoing jokes we have in all the sexy baby rehearsals, I always, I always play a character where I talk about my diaper. It's so gross. It's so foul and uncomfortable. And we've all accepted that like it's going to come up at least in every rehearsal. And then once in a blue moon in a show, because, you know, you can't rely on that. Yeah. Um, but it's my favorite thing. <laughs> like you'll describe the contents of your diaper? No, I'll always come out and I'll be like, <laughs> will you change my diaper? <laughs> like, I'll be like, I put a Lego in my diaper. And then just like hold on to it really hard, like an authentic baby. <laughs> and then they've all kind of like, found their own ways to deal with it <laughs> it is horrifying. It's horrifying yeah i like making them feel uncomfortable but then they like find their own ways to get out like dabney's always like the most positive like lovely mother and she's like well honey you shouldn't put things on your time and it's great tim always just immediately is like all right let's do some serious object work and, change this typing. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just i don't know it's fun we have fun yeah Talk to me a little bit because I'm curious, like what you guys focus on when you're rehearsing. I don't think that's a question I've ever asked anybody on this show, actually. But like, how does Christian work with you guys? What's the what's the focus? Um, lately we've been focusing on. Um, oh my god, I think just doing really good scene work because we have the energy and the camaraderie and the willingness to go crazy. So it's more just like harnessing it, focusing it, um, and living in the character. Like if I'm going to be a baby in a poopy diapy, fine, great, love it. Mm -hmm. But I have to really sink my teeth into that role. Right. You got to be that person and be, yeah, yeah, be that baby. Yeah. 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 Cool. So it's the ingredient for magic, man. <laughs> I love it. I, Christian says that I just love fucking around and yeah. he's right. I, yeah. I love fucking around. One of the, I was in a class years ago that Kevin Dorf was teaching and he'd like summarize the entire class by saying, basically this all boils down to we're, we're fucking around. We're very serious about dicking around. <laughs> yeah. Which kind of like captures it perfectly. And he's like, if you forget either side of that, you're fucked. Yeah. You got to remember both sides of it. You got to remember being really serious and you got to remember it's just dicking around. Yeah, Totally. Yeah, and I don't want people listening to think just because I'm like, uh, you know, dirty diapers, isn't that, that I, I that I don't like still take the craft seriously and sure. think there's a way to like do it that's yeah. that sells it. Um, but but yeah, I think it's important to always like <sighs> like it is just sticking around. Yeah. And people, especially at Megawatt and these teams and everything's so competitive, they they get in their heads and it's like, why are you doing this? And here's a little bit of my origin story. Mm -hmm. I I, w I knew I wanted to do comedy since I was a kid. I wrote my first comedy sketch in second grade, won first place at the library talent show. Cool. You know, like it was totally a match made in heaven, but I had so much fear and, and self-confidence issues that I just didn't get into it in my 20s. But like I was living in California with this guy for like five years. He had a baby. We bought a house together. It was in the middle of nowhere. It was desolate. And, it, and like I had kind of given into the fear so much that I was like, look at this fucking life I'm living. This isn't ever what I imagined having when I was a kid. And I realized that like fear had kind of like led me into this weird life that didn't feel like my own. And so I was like, I'm going to die one day and we're all dying. And I'm so sick of giving into the fear. I know who I, I know what I want. And I'm going to, I came, I got it on the plane to New York. I took the free intro class of the magnet. I felt more alive than I had felt in years. I felt like myself. And then I immediately was like, I'm going to do comedy. I'm going to pursue it to be my career. And I'm going to go so hard and nobody is going to tell me I can't. And I think that's one reason why I never got too freaked out about the megawatt stuff. I mean, I bombed my auditions because I was nervous, but I never took it. It never crushed me because I've always been like, this is who I am. And you are not the fucking gatekeepers mm -hmm. and you do not hold the key. I do. And I'm going to put in the work and do what I do. Wow. That's a big, like, 
that's like a super huge move to bail on a house and, and like a really serious relationship and like hightail it all the way across the country. Do you remember like where you were or what happened when it like, when you had that realization? Uh, it was hard. It was kind of always there, but I knew I was going to like break someone's heart really bad. Yeah. Um, but I remember like finally going for it and I had so much support at home and they were all kind of like, you can like, we're here for you. Like I had an amazing safety net Mm -hmm. waiting for me. And I just remember like getting on the plane and breathing the deepest sigh of relief and being like, you couldn't drag me back kicking and screaming. I will never go back. And it wasn't, it wasn't because it was abusive or anything like that. It was just like, I finally, I, I like saw this alternate life and then I finally had the guts to just believe I deserve to be happy mm-hmm. in my own way. And yeah, I'm like, so in my head right now, is this, not, is this making sense? Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. No. Yeah. It, it's making total sense. And, and like, just the reason why I want to talk about it is because I think a lot of people would, um, register all of the symptoms that they're unhappy and this life is not for them and would somehow find a way to like ignore those symptoms or, or deny it. And like a person's like vitality and courage and, and, and the kind of like truth of who you are, I think gets kind of like muted over the years. If you don't kind of take Mm -hmm. like courageous action when you have the opportunity, like courage begets more courage in a person, right? Totally. And it's like breaking out of these different eggs and shit that you're in are like what make you like strong enough to face the world, right? So yeah. so it's interesting to me because, um, yeah, because I, I think that when a lot of the time a person's held back by their sense of like obligation to other people and a lot of times mm-hmm. a person doesn't have the courage to be like, fuck it, if it doesn't make me happy, I can't be, I can't be who I am and I can't kind of give what I have to give and, and yeah. you, you know, you, you can end up if you don't do that getting really stuck. Yeah. And that is absolutely true. And that is one thing also I say to younger improvisers who get wrapped up in the hierarchy of comedy and worrying about how they're seen by other people like that, that fuck, fuck the haters and all that stuff. It's just like, they don't, you know, in your heart, like if this is, if you're a comedian, I feel like, you know, what you're willing to do, like how how, the ways it completes you that are personal to you and and your experience. And like, no one can give or take that, you know, you just keep pushing through. Yeah. Well, I mean like the, the other side to that is you can't like, you can take the institution of a place more seriously or give an institution to a place more authority than it really has. Mm -hmm. Right. Like give it more worth than it has. Cause really like all of, theater can really do is provide a like structure for you to create and like learn from and move on and like develop your voice. But I think a lot of times like, yeah, you get hung up and it's easy for me to say because I'm in the hierarchy, but, but you get hung up on like becoming so overwhelmed by like where you are in that hierarchy that you lose sight of just like being yourself and staying true to yourself and and actually doing what you want to do and actually having a voice that you want to use. The voice, like, if you don't, if you want to be in a sea of improvisers, like vying for some, whatever, whatever you think it is that makes you the top fine. But like your unique voice is the only thing that's going to separate you at the end. And like people need to um, take a minute to step back and like look at themselves as artists and what they can individually bring to the table and see the theater as like an incredible tool Mm -hmm. that's there to support your growth. Mm -hmm. But if you got to go a little bit more to the left or a little bit more to the right, like fucking go there and don't, and who cares what anyone thinks, you know, that's what I say. Yeah. That's good advice. Woo! Mama Katie, (laughs) sit on my lap, babies. (laughs) Tell your story. <laughs> so I'm super interested in our differences because like um so like if I'm having a shitty week 
I will do my best when I hit a show to not bring my shitty week onto the stage with me. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I like, I, you can't help but have the shit that goes on in your life crop up in your shows. That's, that's the, that's your source material. Right. But like, I'm pretty deliberate about like, I don't want to like bring people down with my negativity. So I'll try to like ignore that shit and, and put in a good performance. What will you do if you're having a shitty week? Does that end up on stage with you? Is that like when you talk about like pushing the boundaries and pushing buttons, like what do you, yeah, what do you bring with you? I guess if I'm having an off night and I'm like going through something or not feeling in the mood, instead of trying to like smash it away and be like, well, I'll just be a rainbow butterfly. Instead, mm-hmm. I'll be like, well, I feel like a fucking mud monster. So I'm just going to play a mud monster and I'll probably play a really good one because I'm not <laughs> too far from how I feel. Yeah. It's probably going to be a pretty authentic character. And, um, I like to do that. I don't think, I think what's amazing about improv as opposed to scripted work is you can use that and you can sort of mold it to work for you. Other people react how they're going to react in the scene. And that's what makes it fun and interesting, but you can, um, you don't have to be anything. You don't have to feel more than you have to feel in that moment. And usually like whatever's happening on stage is so fun that you will change your mood will get better on Mm -hmm. stage. But, um, that's what I do. And, and then, yeah, if there's something I've been like, if I've been having a fight with someone or something, or, um, there's like something I really want to say to them, that's like a fun way to initiate a scene and just come out and be like, why didn't you, why didn't you just call me? Like, I was worried, you know, and having it come from a real place, the audience is like, Ooh, they kind of sense it. And they're yeah. like, well, something's going on with that. and then, you know, when you, when you do that, how much do you care about what your, what your scene partner's response is? Like, are you, are you expecting them to give a, a particular kind of response or is it, fuck it, let's see what happens. Fuck it. Let's see what happens. That's if awesome. you try, yeah, because if you try to, if, you know, that's another thing because I've been called like a wild card because people say that my improv can be unpredictable. But I'm like, if you're trying to fucking predict my moves, you're not you're not doing improv because it should be unpredictable. That's why that's the fun of it. Yeah. So yeah, I'll go in with my real shit. But if they come at me with something hilarious and like not at all what I would have expected, it's great and therapeutic in a way. Hmm. To like take whatever, like smash it up a little bit. That's interesting. I like, I I like to bring a lot of stuff from real life onto stage with me, but I try to avoid a lot of the negative stuff, and I think it's because I'm afraid that I'm going to end up just like bringing people down. <laughs> but I like that's a, a big difference in in our energies, though. You have an energy that you kind of like attack what you're doing and, and the tendency is for your energy to be kind of like get out of my way if you're going to be in my way, but let's have a good time. Whereas mine, I can be so mellow to the point of like catatonic. (laughs) I'm worried, you know what I mean? Like I'm worried about being too mellow if I bring too much of that shit on. So I got to find ways to like break the mellowness with something a little like lighter energy. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Yeah. You're spaghetti and I'm (laughs) jelly. (laughs) Let's talk North Coast. Ooh. Holy cow. Oh my God. You know, I've been to a couple of festivals where we've been paired up with North Coast. Don't follow North Coast at a festival. (laughs) I love North Coast. We're having our eight year anniversary. Oh shit. Congratulations. I mean, I've only been on it for like three. That's still big. It is. Yeah. Three years. I feel like we take that for granted sometimes. When I was like coming up, any, nobody was on a team for more than a year. You were like an old timer if you were around for a year. Three years is fucking huge. How long is the boss been together, though? Ten. Holy shit. Yeah. <sighs> A whole decade. No. You sold the 90s together. Yes. <laughs> we saw MC Hammer come and go. And the gin blossoms. Gin blossoms. Oh, man. We saw it. What is it? Jacob Dylan. We saw that guy oh, reinvent yeah. himself twice. The wallflowers, the right? wallflowers. Oh, Moon yeah. <laughs> so good. Ugh. Yeah, the boss. <laughs> How do you get involved with North Coast? Um, North Co- they held up. They held open auditions. They only they only ever did that once. They held auditions, and I was like, well, everyone was like, actually, I'll 
backtrack a little bit. When I was living in California, thinking of leaving, my best friend in the whole world, Liz Mielin, called me and was like, there's this team I just saw called North Coast. They're hip hop improv. You are supposed to be on this team. You have to be on this team. And this is when I had no intention of moving back. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Lol, bye. I move back. I meet North Coast. I start doing improv. Someone's like, they're having auditions. You need to fucking do this. I almost miss them because I'm like, yeah, right. Like, blah, 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 blah. I go. I do great aud- audition. Um, they're a little weary of me because I'd only been doing, I was only in like level three or something. So they were like, you're great, but let's just like have you sit in a little bit. Did you have any experience before this with like improvised hip hop? No, but it came so fucking natural. Like for me, I don't know what it is, but like incorporating music into improv just works. Mm -hmm. It it feels almost easier to me than doing like a regular scene. I think it's because I just have a lot of feelings like to burst out. Yeah. Um, But I remember when I first did my first show with North Coast, I was so scared. I almost wanted to run out of the theater. I, it almost broke me because it was really fucking frightening. I was intimidated and I just was like, Katie, shut the fuck up. You just fucking do it. Like I'm, I'm very into like pep talks and like listening to like girl power music and be like, fucking take it. And so I was like, Oh, and I like did it. I got through it. I wrapped a verse, did some supportive <laughs> whatever i did i think i played like a mutant yeah who pu- kept puking out her ass or something classic like great that. yeah anyway <laughs> and now we're the best of friends and now i'm totally comfortable <laughs> what goes through your head when you're about to do uh to do a song um i'm thinking what's the game mm-hmm. what's my point of view and then i immediately am trying to set up rhymes in like a lily pad fashion mm-hmm. so if we're like doing a game a, a thing about um i love bowling more than my mom um i'll immediately think of like pins uh hugs um mommy and like strike and then i'll have those four words and then i'll just wrap them out like i want to get a win gonna hit this pin oh fuck now i'm on the spot and i'll write but you know what i'm saying like you set them up Knock them down. It's better than I could do right there. That's <laughs> sweet. But it's funny because the audience never remembers the first thing you do. They just remember you hitting the rhyme. And yeah. They like lose their mind. Yeah. So you just have to remember that punchline word that's specific and then you're fine. Some, a lot of musical people tell me that it really helps your confidence, that there's a different kind of confidence that comes with doing musical improv of any, of any, of any like stripe of musical improv. Just because I guess like, yeah, I guess it, it, the force of the feeling that's coming out of you kind of, kind of takes over i think it is so like the concept of it is so horrifying like so many people are uncomfortable just with the idea of making stuff up on the spot on stage they'll like they're like i'll never do improv and it's why they say to be confident on stage so you can put your audience at rest and then you layer on top of that like freestyle rapping and like dancing it's like it's overload and it's true the only way to get through it is to imbue yourself with like a very unhealthy amount of confidence like you to be like trump Mm -hmm. before you go on stage like i'm i'm constantly just like you're a fucking queen it seeped into my regular life yeah because people like because i'm constantly like you can fucking do this and like getting all pumped up and (laughs) and, but it's kind of helped me in my regular day-to-day life i guess i bet i mean yeah I kind of like don't, it really helps you not give a fuck. Once you go through that and you become comfortable with that, it's yeah. like, oh my God, what do I do now? Yeah. Well, like, so like, I guess like the difference between like a healthy versus an unhealthy, like expression of that, right? Is like, you're able to turn it on for a purpose. Sure. You have like a specific goal in mind that you're like making use of this thing. Yeah. But then it's like, if it's like an, unre- like, it's like Cyclops without uh, his like red goggles. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to explain, but like lasers just shoot. If you just everywhere. have lasers shooting out everywhere, comics. you're just yeah. causing destruction. <laughs> but if you can like focus that on like a targeted point, then it's like, what a great power that is. Yeah. And that's like the case. I don't know. Confidence is like, I guess like many people, like the limits of confidence and limits of arrogance are on my mind a lot recently as we're watching our oh. country fall into fucking narcissistic disorder. <sighs> oh, God. But uh, yeah. I don't even know what point I was going to make with that. Your thoughts. Yeah. Well, first of all, 
Trump has a malfunctioning amygdala. I mean, he literally has no conscience. So I think that, and funnily enough, I do think that psychopaths like Trump could be great improvisers or like sociopaths slipping in from one character to the next. But um, for us regular, for us normies, um, yeah, I guess, yeah, I try not to bring my go off stage. You know, I find with a lot of really good improvisers is really good improvisers have this thing of when they're improvising, there is a little bit of a quality. I guess you could call it chip on your shoulder, but, but I I think it's just like healthy ego. It's this quality of like, what I have to say is important. My point of view is important. My instincts are, are interesting. And your job right now is to be quiet and, and listen to me. But I also find that those same really good improvisers off stage don't have this chronic need for everybody's fucking approval all the time. For the most part, improvisers off stage are like pretty well balanced. Yeah. Everyone has their like quirks or whatever, but like, like Trump, the thing with Trump is how like chronic it is. He's like an alcoholic. Oh yeah. You need chronic approval all the time. And improvisers tend to not. Yeah. Yeah. We're pretty, I think also when I first started improv, I was like, Oh my God, how could you ever like, get tired of this it's like how could you ever and and now like a, a lot of the improvisers i know who are really good they do a lot of improv but then they also like like to rest yeah they don't want i don't want to fucking be on all the time yeah it's exhausting do you like to rest i love to rest when people are always like why don't you come to my party why aren't you and i'm like the like the reason why i'm so like bubbly and excited in person and why i'm like ex- like exploding onto stage is because when I go home, I completely collapse mm-hmm. and I need like quiet time and sleep. Like I exert a ton of energy and I, it, I have to pay for it in some way. Mm-hmm. I'm not an endless at, at like stage is just like, it's other, it's other people's perspectives. It's either you're playing nice or, or you're just kind of like giving back other people's perspectives. You're giving yeah. back what is safe and appropriate and, and what you assume is going to work here. Yeah. Like going back to like Christian's point about the best improv you'll ever do is like what you do by yourself in a bathroom in front of the mirror. Yeah. I don't know if it's the best, but it's certainly the kind of purest that it, it, you know, that's the kind of improv where it's like you open your mouth and you don't know what the fuck. You're just channeling insane voices <laughs> coming out. Yes. And it is because there aren't other people there putting up this wall or even it's like you putting up a wall as other people are there. It's the, this wall of other people's expectations or this this wall of like what other people are going to approve of, disapprove of, all that kind of stuff. So you don't have that wall. So you just have this like unfettered access to like whatever crazy shit is going on in your brain all the time. Yes. But then you get like other people there and, and, you know, most of us succumb to that anxiety of like, oh, I want to, I want people to like me. Totally. But then there's some people who seem to like lose themselves completely in the fog of like other people's opinions and they just never seem to hit like an authentic note. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. nothing that ever comes out of your mouth seems to actually belong to your life or your personality. It's just kind of playing to what you think people are going to like yeah and you've kind of allowed yourself or i don't want to say allowed because we're all fucking brainwashed but you've been kind of curated by society Mm -hmm. and all the horrible ways you're told from the moment you are born to just loathe yourself Mm -hmm. um i think that's why now if i get social anxiety it's more like did i say too much Mm -hmm. it's never did i not say enough it's it's the opposite mm-hmm. of just like, I'd rather get it all fucking out and then backpedal. Um, it, and I, you know, I've hurt people's feelings that way. <laughs> but ultimately, it served me well and people seem to enjoy the truth. I, this is interesting. I don't think I've ever quite like phrased this to myself before. So I just had like a little epiphany here. <laughs> I think that I am very afraid of hurting people's feelings. Mm. Like, like somewhere along the line, I internalized this thought that like, oh, I can be kind of cruel, which I definitely can be. Um, so I think that like rather than hurt people's feelings, I will put up this kind of like weird, polite numbness yeah. around other people. 
I don't know. So I'm not going anywhere with this thought. I know they they know. They sure can. You might as well just say what you're thinking because then they might surprise you and be like, "Fuck you, Lewis." That is so and then interesting. It's like fun. Yeah. Sometimes if you're just like throw like just say what you mean at someone, they'll whip back at you, and you'll end up being best friends and going to um, Argo Tea. <laughs> God bless you, Katie. That's the hell of a good perspective. Um, <laughs> well, I'm happy we just had this exchange. That was cool. Um, yeah, no, I am happy too. Yeah, because you under—I think it's like you underestimating people. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think that there's a there's a, and I don't know if you get this at all, but there's a little bit of like, oh, I'm afraid of myself, which is kind of like an arrogant thing in a way, right? And it's like this thought of like, geez, I'm more, I'm too smart, I'm too smart my for my own good. <laughs> I get right, like, and yeah. then it's it's kind of like not giving enough credit to other people for being strong enough to. Like how fucking a say in response to you. Yeah. How horrible. Holy shit. I got to work on that. Eh, you'll work on it. You can, now for now, when you see me in the hall, be like, what the fuck are you wearing? Fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, suck my ass. <laughs> I, uh, did you ever watch Seinfeld? Yeah. Remember the episode where George realizes that if he just does the opposite of every, all of his like natural inclinations, things work out fine. He starts making the opposite choice of everything that he would want to do. And yeah. everything works. He's like afraid to like, <laughs> He's afraid to like, he sees this woman who he's attracted to and he's afraid to say anything to her. And he's like, no, that's what George would do. So what would George not do? And then he would go up and he's like, hello, my name is George Costanza. I'm 40 years old. I live with my parents and I'm unemployed. And she's like, hi, my name is Susan. <laughs> and he starts like living this very successful life just by going against all of his natural instincts and realizing like, oh, that's like my, my roadmap, right? Yeah. It's a very funny idea. Um, but like what you were saying about like, like your dad telling you like, shut up, don't be weird. Yeah. It, it it got me thinking about like, sometimes when you have someone who actually tells you like, don't be weird and you start like repressing your weird, it creates this kind of like weird negative image roadmap where like at a certain point you realize, oh, if I am weird, that's closer to like my own truest, realist response to stuff. Yeah. Like there's almost a way of like, you need a little bit of resistance against your own personality to fight against that resistance just to realize that like, oh, my weird thing is actually like a fucking great thing. If I stay like tuned into my weird thing, yeah, I'm staying really close to myself. I'm like going with like the flow of my own personality or what have you. Yeah. And then in some cases you almost overcompensate with the weirdness because you're subconsciously weeding out the people who made you stuff your weirdness away. Yeah. And then you're like, if you can't handle this weirdness, then I know you're the enemy. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Like, so let's talk about like combativeness in in comedy for a second, because sure. I'm like really interested in what you were saying about how brainwashed we all are. We're, so, we're sheeple. Yeah, for we sure. Fucking sheeple. Let's talk about that. What's your What's your perspective? My perspective is people are so fucking afraid, um, and especially, well, no, both genders, but women have their own hangups. We're just like constantly told to be quiet and cute and sexy. And blah, 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 blah. Um, but the fact, what, what I've learned is people are all, they give into that so easily that if you are the fucking only person who stands up and is like, I'm going to lead, I'm going to lead the charge. I don't give a fuck. Like, and they'll, they'll follow you. They'll follow you. They'll believe in you. They'll come to you. and like appreciate it um so i think like that's something like my friend dabney said to me she's like you give people when you like go on stage and you like talk about your pussy talk about your asshole she's like you give people you give girls women permission to like feel and say those truths about their body and themselves and it's like that's something as a performer like don't be afraid to lead because people um want that person to like tell them it's okay mm -hmm. to exist and be messy and be fucked up in the head or whatever. It's like, it just makes me think of like when you find like your occasional role model in life or, you know, you like encounter someone or, or, or maybe like you read a book that they wrote or whatever. And you're like, I never knew that you could say this. Mm. I didn't know that you were like, I've thought this a million times, but somehow I didn't realize that it was like a thought worth having. So I screamed yeah. it out and then you see someone say it and you're like, fuck yeah. Sets you free. Yeah. Sets you fucking free. You realize like, oh, I've been thinking right stuff this entire time, but just nobody told me I was thinking right mm -hmm. stuff. It was just like being ignored. 
Mm-hmm. I think I think we are like naturally uh, conformist. You know, like we're built that way. We're, we're built to we're, we're pack. Um, and I think like you know, for the most part, you don't want to like cause waves or whatever. Um, and I think most of us are like really, and I blame a lot of like education for this education and like shitty parenting, honestly, but most of us are just too afraid to be wrong ever. Um, and so most people just learn to like suppress all that shit and like go with the flow and develop like wrong views, no matter what. Yeah. As long as everybody else agrees with this wrong view, then this wrong view is right. Even if it feels wrong or like questionable or like morally, I, I read this book real speaking about gender differences as a man, I feel like I've been having some like rude awakenings recently. So trigger warning to anyone listening to this, because I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the book Missoula, which is an amazing book and everybody should read it. Megan turned me on to it by John Krakauer. It's about sexual abuse in college campuses, specifically university of Minnesota. Amazing book. Eye opening, really incredible read. But that got me turned on. I'm on this like serious kick on reading books on trauma and recovery right now. Oh, wow. Just a little beach read, huh? It's yeah, but I can't, I'm like hooked. I can't stop reading this stuff now. And one of the points that keeps on coming over is systematically uh, our, our like courts and, and public opinion are tend to have historically sided with perpetrators rather than victims. And one of the big reasons for it is, um, to side with a victim means that you yourself have to be challenged by everything that you've ignored. Like to side with a victim means that going forward, you're going to be living in a state of discomfort Mm. because you have to be witness to this victim's experiences. To side with the perpetrator means that you can discount this revelation. You don't have to think about it because it doesn't, you know, whatever it is. And you go about with an unmessy life. It's disturbing. It is. But the point of it is it's just easier ultimately to act, to go with the status quo yeah. and assume that everything is fine. You know what I mean? That like, ignorance is bliss. Yes. And I think that that ties into with both the sheeple thing yeah, and with this thing of like this like boys club of like, well, we can talk like this, but don't you talk like this? And I, I don't know, just like that whole thing of like, it feels to me a lot like we're living in like an emperor's new clothes kind of world where, where you just kind of so conditioned to not see what's directly in front of your face. Yeah. That, well, yeah, and, and it's like very frightening and disturbing. You always, you know, you always know there's this insipid, like there are these inherent biases and things lurking under the surface, but people are at least trying to hide it mm-hmm. when Trump is putting it in your face mm-hmm. and women, you know, women, I know who were just like, it's fine. He didn't mean it. We love him. I, you know, I'm just like, oh, fuck mm-hmm. how deep it goes is frightening. Yeah. But then you say crazy shit and you're a wild card. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, oh God. Don't even get me started. <laughs> the bias is real. But um No doubt. Yeah. I definitely feel it's like the scarlet letter. And but you know what? I'm gonna keep on fucking doing it because I still have even though I, I rap about like promiscuity and filthy things and I do weird stuff and people might think that's my like only MO. It's not, but North Coast gets a lot of new fresh people in the audience mm. every week and young women and they always come up to me and are like we fucking loved it and it feels like the great that's the greatest thing to me that's honestly like m- my favorite thing about improv it's just mm. like connecting with the women in the audience and like coming out and being like fucking nuts and um just letting them know that like it's okay like i'm gonna sing about every ratchet part of my body and do embarrassing things, make ugly faces and be like, not cute. Um, cause like, I just know after the show, they, they like appreciate it in a deeper way than, than like other dudes in the audience do. You have like, um, I think about this a lot, actually, like you're on like sense of purpose. Totally. You're kind of like higher purpose for doing what you do. Not just like I'm doing my show. You know, or like we got to do a good show or we got to not get cut or like whatever it is. But you have like your bigger reason behind what you do. And that reason also connects you like you find your people out there 
and you know this thing that like this is something that I know is important and this is something that I know that other people are like discounting or ignoring or whatever it is and you feel like a drive to like insist on like no man we're going to like do things my way and I'm 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 going to connect with the other people who are out there who may think similarly but may not realize that this is like a way to be doing stuff yeah yeah. I mean, and I remember when I was young, like watching Molly Shannon on SNL for the first time and yeah. she was so weird. She was like the weirdest thing I'd ever seen on like regular TV yeah. and she was like smelling her armpits and oh God, I loved it. And I was like, holy crap. It was, it was like, it was seeing me on screen, not me as like a actor or a comedian, but her weirdness was like felt like what I would do alone in my room and just made me feel like incredible. And that, and like, I think about that when I'm do like, I try really hard before I go out on stage to be like, don't um, like try, like be a little ugly tonight. Like challenge yourself to like, like just do something uncomfortable. Always every show, do something uncomfortable, make yourself ugly, say something embarrassing. <laughs> Katie Berry, this has been an edifying conversation. Thank you for being here, man. <laughs> Thank this you. This is fucking great. Oh my gosh, so fun. Thank you. Shout out to all my peeps um, in the listening universe. Uh, plug stuff. Tell us stuff. Uh, Wednesday night, Sexy Baby, part of Magnet Megawatt. Every Saturday night at 9 o'clock, see North Coast at the People's Improv Theater. Also, our run of anybody, <laughs> the hip-hop, the improvised hip hop will be running again in May, again at the pit. And watch, go to katieberry.com, no, katieberrycomedy.com <laughs> for, to watch videos I make, like my web series, Katie in the Bush. What the fuck else is there? I don't know. I love everyone. Thank you. Katie Berry, folks. <laughs> Thanks, Katie. And thank you for listening. And thank you, Evan Ford Barton, our, our intrepid producer rolling his eyes at me but he knows it's true we all got a little chip on our shoulder and you know what yeah. we're all entitled to it we are here but one time make your fucking mark <laughs> people <laughs> thanks for listening everybody if you enjoyed the podcast you know mention us on social media get them get them likes up or whatever the thing get the conversation going you know uh uh hey introduce yourself to someone on the subway this week that you've never talked to before find out what their story is it's a cool thing to do meet each other like each other live love Etc. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, Katie Berry. Bye. You've been listening to the Magnet Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.